Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, Dublin! Hello, Ireland! Stevens Green. There, in, in the heart of a city, having a lovely, lovely place of green grass, flowers, and everybody, people go in, ramble around at your leisure. There's not a city in the world we can But I must say, I do really love Ireland, and I do like living here. I, I know that I often talk with my boyfriend, oh, where we can live next, and because we do want to experience the world in general, it's not just that we want to stay in one place forever. Yeah. But... I am not ready to move from here, you know, like I feel like I want to stay a bit longer and I guess that's really positive yeah. from Ireland. <laughs> I do really enjoy it and I do think it's the people. I really do think yeah. it's the easygoing type of uh, personalities that we can see everywhere and it's just you go into a bar and you have pint with everybody, you know, <laughs> regardless of where you are and yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark. I hope you enjoyed that little edit at the beginning of this episode, which I took from around the place and a couple of our own episodes. It took me an embarrassingly long amount of time to make it, but it was the first one I've ever done, so hopefully I'll get a little bit better at doing them in the future. I had a bit of crack at making it for you anyway. In this episode of the podcast, we get to chat to Bev from South Africa. We recorded this episode a few months ago, and because of the madness of setting up our live shows and various other worldly chores, we're only getting around to sharing it with you now. But I'm very pleased that it's finally out in the world, as it's a great conversation. Bev has been in Ireland for quite a while and lived in the UK before moving here. We hear of her fascinating story of truly living on a shoestring budget when she first moved abroad and what that experience taught her. I like her story a lot because she has passed through the initial difficulties of the expat, immigrant, whatever you want to call it, life, and now finds herself settled in Ireland and calls it home. 
Thank you so much for listening, guys. Please reach out to us if you have any comments about the podcast or you just want to say hello. If you'd like to support what we're doing, that would be very much appreciated. You can do so by visiting our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash a life in Dublin. And now here's our conversation with Bev. Ireland. Yeah, it was popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. really was. Mm-hmm. Um, but when did you actually come to Dublin? Um, I first arrived in Ireland in two thousand and seven. Okay. Two thousand and seven. Yeah, it's mm. a long time ago. And you came from? Um, I was living in England at the time, uh-huh. uh, working for Nando's at the time, and then came over two thousand and seven. Um, I was actually in Northern Ireland first. We opened a restaurant in North. Okay. Then I moved down to Dublin. Dundrum. Um, I lived in Cork for a bit. Oh, wow, you've been And then right. came back up to Dublin. Uh-huh. Um, and now I'm living in Meath. Okay. Yeah. Very so, nice. Uh, a long time, yeah, 2007. What was the, like, for you, what was the biggest difference between... So, for a lot of people who might be talking to, to us or who we might come in contact with, maybe, let's say, I don't know, let's say uh, Spanish, actually. They might be like, oh, you know, UK, Ireland, pretty much the same thing. Um, from your point of view, having lived in both places as an expatriate in both places, do you see much of a difference? I do, I do. Um, I think the biggest difference for me was people. Um, uh-huh. When I came to Ireland, I f- it felt like home. Uh-huh. I'd say actually probably the, the key and, and main difference living here versus South Africa is the weather. So uh-huh. once you get over the weather, you're okay. Mm. Um, and I found... The, the people in Ireland, I, I just clicked. Really? There, there's something about, for me, I, I like to feel like I belong somewhere and in a community. And the Irish tend to talk to everyone much the same as myself. So yeah. I quite like that. Yeah. You know, so that that was the big difference. And when I, when I lived in England, I always felt like I was just living there and not part of the community. Mm. And once I moved to Ireland, I felt like I was more part of the community. Was that in London? Uh, yeah, I lived in London, I lived in Manchester, and I lived in Birmingham, actually. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of those three cities, which was your favourite, which you enjoyed um, the most? I think I probably enjoyed London the most just because I had friends around. I lived there the longest. And so much to do. I established myself a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Out of, mm. out of those three. Yeah. We've, we've had people on the podcast before who say when they've come to Ireland, the biggest problem that they have is that Irish people are, while they're quite friendly, like yeah. you said, and they'll talk to you and all that, it's very hard to make friends with, with Irish. Did you have the same problem or did you, was it a lot easier for you? Um, I, th- I think it took a while to get established friends. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. having, a, having a job and working helps. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't undervalue yeah. that and, and, you know, put enough emphasis on that. That's where you start to feel like you belong to something. You know, like the first few years I lived in, in Ireland, it was probably some of the loneliest because I'd, I'd work five days a week and I could go home and not talk to a soul for 48 hours, yeah. you know, come home and not open my mouth. Yeah. And that's probably the hardest part. Yeah. And then you go into work and you start talking, blah, 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 blah. And then you go home and then for two days and you're like, you know, so until you start to make friends and and you know start to and how, how, did, how did that process happen 
Or is it just time? I think it's time. Yeah. I think it's time. And, you know, like, I'm very much the kind of person who likes to walk around my neighborhood mm-hmm. um, and I chat to the neighbors. You yeah. know, and that, that gives me a sense of belonging. So yeah. I'm, I'm conscious of that. I'm a talkative person by nature. Um, so, yeah, that's probably that's probably the mm. key key difference for me. Yeah, it it's one of those things that having spoken to other people, a lot of people tend to get involved in, let's say, kind of extra, I was say extracurricular stuff, but it's not really that. It's um, stuff outside work where it'd be like, you might be going to the gym, doing some kind of sports activity, going to dance groups or whatever. I think that's a way that people tend to make friends here. Um, it is nice to hear, though, that you found people friendly here or welcoming to a certain extent. I think for, for, for me, it was even walking into a shop and... You know, I get to know the butcher because South Africans, we, we like to have a bra, yeah. <laughs> a barbecue or, you know. Um, so I'd get to know the butcher. Or I'd get to know the, the 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 person in the post office or, you know, behind the shop and whatever. And that, that just kind of started to build as you yeah. kind of get, you know, spend a bit more time. And I think it's realizing that it doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, you don't have to try and rush it and expect to know the whole community in a couple yeah. of months. You know, it takes yeah. years. Mm. It takes years. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And But working helped, you know, I think. You you have colleagues and mm. you start to build on that and that, yeah. that just kind of broadens your circle of people, I think. Mm. Everybody needs people. Yeah. People and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, when you were in uh, England, did you... Were you working with Nando's when you arrived in England or had you just found that job when you, when you were over there? Um, I, I actually found the job when I was over there. Mm-hmm. So I left South Africa in 2001. I'm, I'm, I'm effectively halfway now. Mm. I've actually lived abroad mm. for equal time to how long I've lived in South Africa. Mm. Um, and I packed my backpack, literally a 20 litre backpack. And I hopped on a plane and I, and, I, and I left. I went to, I went to the UK for a bit. Went to America. Mm-hmm. Did that kind of camp America thing. I oh, yeah, yeah, think yeah, we each yeah. had a, a while about that. And I did that three years in a row. So every time I pack my bag, I go over to the states and I come back to England, find a job. It would normally just be kind of in a kitchen washing pots or whatever, um, and then I go back to America. And then I oh. ended up joining uh, joining Nana's through a friend of mine because mm-hmm. they worked there. So, And where, so when I arrived in Nando's, uh, I was a host. What uh, what, what type <laughs> of job did you have uh, off the bat? Were you a, a griller? Were you working in the kitchen? Uh, no, I actually, when I joined Nando's, I came in as a manager, as an yeah. assistant manager, mm-hmm. um, as an assistant. That was uh, almost 18 years ago. That's crazy. So uh, a long time, a long time. But uh, I mean, I have no fear from going and starting working in the kitchen or doing whatever mm-hmm. because I had a bit of faith in myself, you know, where as long as I got my foot in the door, I, mm-hmm. I, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to work hard, mm-hmm. I'm going to be nice to people and, you know, and, and that's going to show through. So mm-hmm. I, I never really had a fear. How um, was it have something. managing Irish people versus managing, that we'll say, English people? Is there any differences in, in how the management style works? I don't think there's a difference in how to manage people. I, I was saying to Ross, like, I think I think we're all humans. Yeah. And that's probably the, the key thing that I remember for myself is we're all humans and individuals and people. 
and no one is better or worse than the other one. Mm. As long as you treat people like a human being, mm. that's it. It doesn't have to be any more complicated yeah. than that. Um, Apart from I think, boss. I think that's, you know, that we were saying, you know, about good bosses and bad bosses in my life. And I think, you know, fundamentally for me, it's just treat, treat people like, like human beings. Yeah. And, 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 and you're, you're on the right path. So, yeah, I don't think there's a difference in how you mm. That I imagine requires a certain amount of empathy and being able to, to know a little bit about the people that you're, you're managing. As in, if someone comes to, to work in, in a bad mood or whatever, then a certain amount of understanding has to be there in order to, to correctly manage that as opposed to just yeah. punish them or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the fact that I packed my bag and, and, and left and did travel and, you know, I take great pride in having tried to travel to a lot of places around the world, you know, and helped me with that. Yeah. Because I, I have quite a broad mind um, and trying to lead with empathy is, is really important. Yeah. You know, um, and recognizing that it's not just my way. And I think I had some real wide shocks when I was around 20, 21, 22, especially when I worked uh, in kind of the Camp America bits and pieces. Because um, I think I was quite selfish when I was 20, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and I started to go, yeah, you, you start to grow and you start to go, hang on a second, you know, it costs nothing to be nice. Yeah. What, uh, costs nothing to what, be nice. what sort of examples would you have for those shocks that you got? Like, was there a one moment where you're just like, Oh, actually, I need to, uh, because I did this, I'm now realizing that this is a better way to go about it. Um, shocks, <laughs> my whole life. <laughs> I think, uh, I, th- I think life, that, 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 that is it. Um, you know, I had some big moments in, in, in my own life when I was 21, I first moved abroad, you know, I was living in, uh, I think on hindsight now, looking back 20 years ago. I was probably just a squatter. So somebody mm. rented out a room to me um, mm. and, uh, you know, I'd found it online. When I arrived there, they said I didn't have a front door key because there was no front door key. And I had to go around the back door and the back door was always open and it was down an alley. Mm, wow. I mean, there was no electricity and there was no hot water. And I was totally unaware. Wow. Totally unaware. Um, and uh, I had to, I had a sleeping bag because I traveled with my sleeping bag. I used to put tracksuit pants. I used to, first, I used to put jeans on, then tracksuit <laughs> pants because the tracksuit pants could fit over the jeans. <laughs> Two pairs of socks, my jacket, Jeez. scarf, hat, gloves, and then climb into my suitcase, into my uh, sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, and I used to have a little fairy tea lights next to my bed, so I'd light one of them. Um, my and God. Then, and then, how, how long did you stay in this place for? Um, I'd say about four months. Wow. Without without realizing, and I moved in in November, and I moved out in February, so it was throughout the the depths of winter. Cold and it was months, and it was it was because I was working in an Italian restaurant at the time, and uh, the house was so cold. I only had one pair of shoes, and I'll get onto shoes later. <laughs> I only had one pair of shoes, so I used to because it was snowing. I used to wake up in the morning and put like plastic packets, you know, like Tesco bags around my shoes, tie them around, then walk into work because if I I walked in my shoes, my shoes were wet, my feet were cold. So I used to tie plastic packets around my shoes, walk all the way to work, and I'd go early in the morning just because I knew, you know, I've always been in hospitality, so it was nice and warm. You could sit, you could have coffee, tea, do whatever you wanted. And I'd wait there all day. And it was the chefs that started chatting to me, why are you always here early? And then I was like, 
oh, I can't really stay in the house. It's no electricity. It's freezing cold. And then one of them copped on and said, don't think you're staying in the, <laughs> in the right crazy. place. Yeah. And actually then they kind of, they, they, they worked around and they got somebody that had a spare room and I ended up moving, moving, okay, moving into right. an apartment. With. And at any point during that four months, because this was your initial four months of yeah. being abroad, right? Were you like, I want to go home. What am I doing? It's freezing cold. I'm in a strange place. I don't know any people. Or was it all quite exciting for you? It was exciting. I, yeah. I don't think. I think there, might, there, there probably were moments when I went, what, what am I doing? But I think, you know, the, the excitement of being abroad, you know, um, and doing it on my own, standing on my own two feet, outweighed. The, yeah. the bad side. I, I saw it all as an adventure. It was the, in those four first four months that I saw snow for the first time. You know, mm. um, it was just yeah, it was something. It was too exciting for me to kind of. Mm. In in the time since you've been so abroad, do you go home or back to well, what, what you would say your country yeah. of origin? Yeah, I go home every year. My my parents still live there. Mm. Um, I got two older brothers. Um, they, they both actually live in England, but my, my, my parents still live in South Africa. I go home every year. Sometimes now that I'm a bit more established, I might go home twice a year if I can. Yeah. Um, but the reality is it's quite expensive. I imagine, in, yeah. in, in the starting years, it took me about two years to earn enough money to be able to go home. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I go home every year. Okay, very good. Um, Sundays and Sundays. Yeah, after England, uh, you you moved to Ireland, so yeah. Belfast, Cork, and Dublin. Uh, I know you from managing the uh, Nando's in in Blanchardstown, which had uh, the best reputation, I think, in Dublin. It was fairly uh, fairly good. We kept winning football games, and uh, <laughs> um, but then. What did you do after in the in the last eight years? What uh, what has been your kind of trajectory in, in work? Um, so I, I, I still still work for the same place. Um, I have kind of progressed myself, and mm-hmm. um, I now look after a number of restaurants in Dublin, Kildare, and Cork. Um, but I think trajectory for me is you know just feeling like I belong somewhere. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What part of me are you living in? Uh, Dan Shocklin. Okay. Oh, Dan very Shocklin. nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really handy because yeah. it's 15 minutes and you're on the M50 and yeah. right away. Um, and it's enough in the countryside to feel like you've got space. Mm. Um, and that's important for me. You know, yeah. Driving out and I can see the cars and the ones I had. I, I enjoy that. I it's actually a really nice top. spot. Yeah. Um, for me, the only thing it's missing is a little bit being a bit closer to the sea. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, like that is because yeah. it's a really nice place, and I, I passed through, and it's like, oh, you know, maybe because you know, as you know, Dublin is a nightmare to try and find accommodation, and that kind of nice, relaxed style of living is difficult to find here. But as I was thinking of, okay, this place is cool, but I think I've grown up beside the sea my my whole life that I, I would miss it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lovely, lovely spot, nice little country. I don't miss the city. No. no, but I mean, I guess I'm I, I, I'm fortunate because I have a car and I can drive um, with the bus yeah. route if I wanted it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I just like the feeling of space. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's from South Africa where we have space. We have a lot of space. Yeah. Um, so I like the feeling of space. And that mm. for me feels like, you know, it was more important for me to be able to afford a, a house that has a big enough garden 
yeah. than than being closer to the city itself. So mm. yeah. it's a really nice uh, spot to live. That that's part of uh, part of the problem living in, a, in any city. Really, it's you could just stay here for it could be a month, and then all of a sudden it's two months, and then it's three months, and you haven't left it, and you feel like, uh, well, for me personally, coming from the countryside, I can feel a bit claustrophobic, but I don't know why until I realized, oh, I've been in Dublin for three months. Um, so kind of getting out into the countryside allows at least some sort of, I don't know, uh, mental, because you, you, it feels more open. You feel like you're not as crowded by, by people or by buildings and that you have that kind of sense of, uh, space, like, maybe the, like what you said. But did you always have that sense of, that you wanted space or we, when you moved to England and Ireland, were you always like, oh yeah, I want to be in the city. I want to be kind of where things seem to be happening in the, in the country. Or did you always want to yeah. eventually leave, leave Dublin? Or is that just something that developed over years? I think it developed over years. Um, I think different stages of one's journey mm -hmm. depicts it. So when I first lived in Dublin, I lived on the south side. Um, and it was great because I could hop on a Lewis and 10 minutes later I was I was in the city. Um, and then I lived in Cork for two years. And I think probably Cork was one of my favourite spots to really? actually live in Ireland. Um, Why was that? I don't know if it was the stage that I was at, you mm -hmm. know, I was kind of middle thirties and just <laughs> more settled in myself. Yeah. The people were amazing. Um, I support Munster, so uh, okay. oh, I, uh, I'm a rugby fan um, and I kind of connected with that a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, and yeah, I just found Cork was, was great. And I talk about space, but actually I've got an affinity with water because I've always grown up on the coast. Mm. So in Cork, I could always see water. I lived on the river or mm. on the sea or, you know, I could just see water. So so that really connected with me. So when I then came back up to Dublin um, and I lived near Blanchestown, mm -hmm. I just knew that it was too closed for me. And, and yeah. that's hence why I kind of went to Dunshuckland. I yeah. couldn't quite afford to live uh, on the coast of, uh, of County Dublin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to do a, a bit of a trade-off, which, okay, so it might, I might not be able to see the water, but let me at least not, let me at least see a bit of fields and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and that yeah. just kind of filled filled my jar of joy, so. Brilliant, yeah. Cork is, um, there. it's great fun. I Every time I go down to Cork, I have a great time. It's also kind of a lovely little, uh, I know they don't like to hear this, but it is, a, a smaller version of Dublin, which in a way is nice. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what made it easier for me to, to kind of integrate some bits and pieces. Perhaps. You know, so just, uh, I didn't feel like I was just one number in a mass. Yeah. You know, it was a bit easier. Yeah. Know, so. so you lived in, you've lived in Belfast, you've lived in Cork, Dublin and Cork. Yeah. Of those three accents, which one was the most difficult to get used to? <laughs> Oh, all three <laughs> at different stages. I think, you know, when I first came to Belfast, that was my first introduction to, into the whole island. Um, so just getting used to the accent. So it took me a while to kind of get the hang of it. And then I think Cork was the tricky one, purely yeah. because Cork Kerry accents were bouncing yeah. around everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of find, uh, I had to kind of 
yeah, listen for that. Mm. There's, a, there's a story when we were opening one of the restaurants down in Cork. So me with my South African accent, the builder was a man from Kerry. Um, and one of my managers was from Cork. She stood in the middle. She translated <laughs> both ways. So I, I'd be like, okay, well, what time do you need access the next morning? And the the, the, the builder was saying, well, and you know, and I was like, I couldn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. was going, oh, no, this is what he said. <laughs> this is what she said. Because my accent can be quite strong sometimes. It's, kind of dwindled a little bit but uh yeah i always think it's funny in those situations so where you get the people who they don't like tone down their accent in any way they're like okay this person i need a translator but i'm still going to speak the same way <laughs> unapologetically <laughs> yeah, yeah carry who i am and i will never change <laughs> yeah yeah it's good no i get that um i get that a few times like so re- recently i was teaching like uh, what we would classify as uh, kind of intermediate uh, intermediate English, and uh, a lot of the students that I were talking to, they're like, "We can understand you, no problem, no problem." Yeah. But I'm just like, yeah, "That's been six years of me having to talk to people who don't understand me." So you kind of have to you have to change. But it's um, it's uh, sometimes I wish I didn't kind of change my accent a little bit, or sometimes I wish I had just kept the, the real country country accent but uh, I don't think people kind of would have understood me or they would have kind of maybe stepped back and maybe I might have felt a little bit uh, awkward and stuff but how have have you felt like that you need to needed to tone down your accent or change yourself just kind of to adapt or do you think it just naturally has happened over the years I think it just naturally happened. Mm. Um, I'm quite proud of my accent and certainly the more I speak to other South Africans, the accent comes back thick and strong Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, no, I I don't think I've ever felt the need to, to, to try and turn it down to any degree. I I have when I moved, when I lived abroad uh, because people didn't understand me Mm -hmm. and I don't think I have a particularly or had a particularly strong Irish accent, but it was when I was in the States actually. I mean, I actually, I remember I was working and somehow managed to, well, this is a long story and for another day, but I somehow managed to get a, a job working on the door in, in an Irish <laughs> bar, making sure people were 21 when I was 19. <laughs> um, but I remember someone came up to me, like I'd have a few people saying, what, you know, sorry, say like, like they didn't say sorry, like say that again or whatever, like quite frequently throughout the night. And then someone just came up to me and go, are you speaking English? And I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Like, so you just learn to, yeah. you're like, I have to speak slower and clearer. Tomato, tomato, tobacco. Like. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was a shock for me. But that was my first experience of it, like being out of the country and, and having to dumb down your accent a little bit. Um, so I think it's inevitable if you do live out of your country and you have a particularly strong accent, then it's going to be toned down a little bit. Yeah. When, I, when I lived in Vietnam, there was a, there was a lot of South, uh, South Africans in Vietnam and uh, they're unapologetically South African. Like, you know, you kind of love it. Very I, proud South Africans. You love it. Yeah. You, love, you love to see it. Now, the, <laughs> there ended up being a lot of friction between the, the, the British and the South Africans uh, now and again. But uh, a lot of them were like they told me that they didn't speak a lot of Afrikaans, okay, yeah. but yet they were studying more Afrikaans when they were, were living there. 
they felt like they were prouder to be South Africans outside of South Africa than even inside of South Africa. Okay. Do you have any kind of association with that? Do you, what's your relationship with Afrikaans of the language or uh, uh, did you feel prouder to be South African since you left? Um, yeah, good, good question. Um, I grew up with English being my first language mm -hmm. and Afrikaans with my second language. Mm -hmm. So I learned Afrikaans throughout school. Um, and when, when we went through school, we also did a third language, which was Zulu, because mm -hmm. it's uh, mm -hmm. the province of uh, KwaZulu-Natal. So, uh, you know, I, at the stage when I was young, I, I kind of learned the language because I had to. Mm -hmm. But you, you're actually right. Once I left South Africa, I recognized the importance of your roots. And that, that, at that point, when I kind of went, oh, I'm really grateful to have learned a bit of Afrikaans, but also a little bit of Zulu. Mm. Um, and then I'd worked in game reserves around Southern Africa and on the border of Botswana and Kruger Park and Shuslui. Um, and I learned a bit of Twana and Shangan. So mm, right. I, I think once I, once I left South Africa, I recognized how lucky I was and fortunate I was to actually have that. Mm -hmm. And when you're in it, you don't realize. It's like when yeah. you're standing up against the cold front of the trees, you can't see the, bar, the, yeah. the, the, the forest, you know. Yeah. When you step back, you go, geez, I'm lucky, you know, mm. because actually so many people don't have that opportunity. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Amazing experience. Yeah, no, very, very lucky, I think. Mm. Very lucky. Um, and yeah, I do hold on to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I probably try to practice speaking <laughs> when, when I get the chance. In the shower. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, when I go to South Africa to, vi to visit the parents mm -hmm. or I'm just traveling around, I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a sign of respect as well to to at least try and try. speak the right language mm -hmm. with, with, with whoever you, you're talking to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice sign of respect. Yeah. And because, like, I mean, um, Irish people, uh, you know, being able to speak the the couple of fuckle, the couple of Irish words that you do abroad does seem it does help now and again, especially when you're just kind of someone's around you that you kind of need to be maybe uh, new people or yeah. you want to kind of just talk a little bit privately with some friends. It, it's really nice, but unfortunately, we just don't have the the, the level to kind of just have a full blown conversation. Well, I don't, anyways. But some people do, but. Uh, it kind of made me embarrassed a little bit yeah. to be like, Jesus, I don't know my the language that, uh, or they say my an ancestral language. And it's kind of come to like, how did that affect your way of thinking as well? Because if you, uh, the, the language does shape how you think uh, because of the way that you say it in that language or the kind of even direction. Cause I think there's some, there's some languages that they don't say left or right. They say East and West. So depending on if you, your it's your, it's your, your West hand, if you're, fa if you're mm -hmm. going this way, or mm -hmm. if it's your East hand, if you're facing the other way. And, uh, how has, mm -hmm. how has the kind of becoming absorbed in English and having to speak English for the last potentially 18 years of your life or 20 years of your life? Uh, constantly, has has that changed your mentality a bit, or have you still kind of, you know, are you still proud of being like, you know, unapologetically South African? 
Um, I'm still proud to be unapologetically mm. South African yeah, <laughs> to, to, to answer the first question. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've spoken English my whole life, mm. so it, it actually hasn't changed much, you yeah. know. Um, it hasn't changed much okay. um, in kind of how I think or, mm. you know, I dream in English. You, you do dream in English. I dream in English. <laughs> um, and it, I have to actually make a conscious effort to speak in Afrikaans or Zulu mm-hmm. because I actually have to think about what, what I need to say. Mm-hmm. You know? um, if if you were chatting to someone who was thinking of moving here, yeah. um, was there any kind of, first of all, well, any kind of warnings that you might give them? Or not warnings, but something that you're, you're going to have to take this into account. And, and secondly, what would you recommend them to do when they're here to, to kind of get to know the real Ireland? Okay. Um, I think, I think warnings bring more than one pair of shoes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> more than one pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost. Um, and I think w- w- when you, when you come to any country, the, the, the key thing is to, you know, be humble in your approach. You know, yes, you, you, you've grown up your life where your family think you're number one, but in, in the big scale of it, you're just another human being on a massive planet. Mm. So, mm. you know, be, be humble in your approach. Um, I think having, having a job, uh, working or volunteering to some degree is probably the, the best or the biggest thing that you can do to help to integrate because okay. through that you will learn how to work with people and how to talk to people from the country you're living in yeah, um, because nice. otherwise you're going through it as a tourist yeah you know and don't get me wrong i love going on holiday and i've, I've enjoyed going on holiday to thailand and jamaica and mm. it's fantastic but when you're working in alongside with people living there mm. you get a better sense yeah you get a better sense yeah yeah I, that's i think that's very very good advice yeah. um some people have echoed that on the podcast as well that kind of just getting involved and and kind of as you say being humble about it but being proactive and and getting involved i think that's one thing that some people come and they're a little bit passive about it and kind of expecting things to happen for them i think that's when things can become a little bit difficult for people because things don't just happen for you and i think that's what you say with that when you say be humble i think that's what you actually mean like be proactive. Hundred percent, because I mean, ultimately, you made that choice. Yes, you know, I, I chose to be here. So, yes. so, so with that comes the level of responsibility for myself. Of yeah. how I then integrate. I can't, you know, I, I can't sit there and go, oh, the world isn't being lovely to me. I have done nothing to to help it along. You know, yeah. Yeah. so so to that degree, um, yeah, you you absolutely need to take responsibility for yourself. You know, um, and and recognize that what you put in is what you're going to get out. Yeah, you know, um, mm. yeah. So I'd echo that sentiment. Very good. Bev, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Mm. Yeah, really, really nice. Thank you um, very much. I've uh, just one more question. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Is, uh, when you think of uh, okay, it could be Cork, it could be Dublin, it could be Dunshockland. Where is your favorite? place just to kind of just go and be kind of either be one with nature or relax the most like it could be a bar park and side of a canal where's your where's your space to be yourself 
in uh, outside of your home. Outside of my home. Can I pick two? You can pick yeah. two, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I got two spots. One one is down in Cork in Kinsale. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love it there. And it's probably the mass body of water that mm-hmm. helps me along, just the soothing sounds and mm-hmm. you know, um and then here here in Ireland there's along the north coast of towards Hoth and again mass body of water mm-hmm. but just vast lands and you just feel like you've got space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um summer and winter are that those are two places mm-hmm. that I will go and frequent if I just want a bit of Hoth and Kinsale. Yeah. Two fishing harbors. Yeah. Probably that's it. That's probably yeah. what it what, what it is. Yeah. I have my dog in tow um, <laughs> and, and we shall go. So yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks so much, Bev. Thank oh, no worries. It. Thank you. Thanks it. very much. Thanks, Ross. Thanks guys for listening. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Boom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.